everyone, and welcome to episode number 321 of The Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Kai Davis. Hey, hey, hey. And Eric Dietrich. Hey, everybody. And Jeremy Green. Hey. And I'm Ruben Lerner. And this week, we are going to be talking about our planning for 2019. So if you are hearing this after 2019, um, don't listen. No, no, don't. <laughs> then, you can check, then you can check us on, on whether we actually were good at our planning. So let me start with a general question, which is how much do you at the end of a year, beginning of a new year, actually think about planning for that year? And how much do you just like continue going the way you were going? For me personally, starting about four years ago, uh, uh, I started devoting a decent amount of time in December to reviewing the past year and just like asking a couple key questions like, what did I do this past year that I really, really loved? What did I do this past year that I didn't really enjoy and don't want to continue doing? And what do I absolutely want to be doing in this current year? Sort of a, a almost like that Marie Kondo spark of joy idea, like what did I do that sparks that joy inside of myself? And based on those answers, I'll look forward to the coming year and say, okay, the things I did that I don't want to do, how do I eliminate those? The things that I want to do more of, how do I get more of those onto the calendar? So for me, it definitely is a bit of high level, backwards looking, what do I enjoy in the past, and forwards looking. Okay, based on that analysis and that uh, observation, what I want to decide to act on. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. So for me, I do a good bit of um, reflection on the past year and looking ahead to the next year for a sort of interesting, almost tactical reason, which is that usually because of uh, family and the holiday from Christmas to New Year, I'm generally not working very much, which provides me a pretty unique moment in the year to kind of pull back and look at things where I'm not, you know, right in the trenches. Um, so I've historically, and especially since uh, starting my own businesses, taken that opportunity to have perspective where I might not otherwise have it. So I do a good bit of planning myself. Jeremy, what about you? Uh, so I think my process is kind of similar to what Eric described, but I don't, I kind of don't do a lot of real intentional planning during that period. I kind of try to take advantage of the break to just really unplug and not be not have my my brain so much intentionally wrapped up in my business uh mainly because i feel like that getting out of it and kind of having the break helps me sort of naturally like i find the things that i find myself thinking about during that period when i'm trying not to to be as actively engaged kind of those those things that do come up to my brain are things that i wouldn't be able to get at if i was saying staying all wrapped up and kind of grinding all the time. 
so for me, it, the, it, kind of the end of the year is more about try to take an intentional break uh, to allow things to, to pop up that might not otherwise. So I should probably clarify a little. I'm actually with you. Um, I'm pretty unplugged during that time period, so it's more when I get back. I feel like I have fresh perspective. So, you know, once I'm starting up work again, it's kind of where I do that retrospecting and planning. Gotcha. Yeah, so I'm uh, I'm not so good at this sort of thing, like the actual planning and sitting down and being intentional about stuff, even though I should be. Um, but it just sort of so happens that um, I had a few courses canceled, giving me now in like early mid-January two weeks to first of all catch up on stuff like email and writing and so forth. Also during this period, I've been speaking with people and thinking about where I want to move. And it's like, it's just all happening at once. And I'm thinking, wow, this is a great thing to like think about where I want to plan to go and what do I want to do more of and what do I want to do less of. Less of. So I didn't plan on planning as it were, but just sort of fell into my lap and it's, it's giving me a lot of uh, a lot of thinking time, which is which is great. I'm really starting to think, well, you know, of the month, how much do I want to be doing frontal teaching? How much do I want to be recording? How much do I want to be you know, doing doing other stuff? And it's a it, yeah, it is a nice feeling. Um, what one one thing I sort of see in all of our answers is there's a big difference between being reactive in planning and being intentional in our planning. And it sounds like all of us uh, uh, in one way or another are taking time at the end of the year, unplugging, giving our brains a break, seeing what floats up to the top. And there is this intention around it, either intentionally taking that time as a break or intentionally planning out these activities. And I contrast that with being reactive, where it would just be running into 2019, you know, the same things are on fire and nothing's really changed except for the date. I would argue that I've been reactive for years and that it's um, just this like really this this um, uh, on a coincidence almost that at the same time as I have some downtime, people contacted me and I contacted other people about thinking about like what to what to go in terms of new opportunities. But for years now, I basically said, okay, new year, fine, you know, switch the date or switches automatically and just keep keep running in this same same direction, same way. Um, and this has definitely convinced me it's good to do this sort of stop and think and consider. Um, I mean, look, I guess when I switched from doing general consulting to doing training, that was thinking also. But it then got stretched out over a ridiculously long period of time. Um, and having this period to think about things and plan means that I don't need to spend a year doing a little bit each week, but I can spend a week or two doing a lot and making some serious decisions and also investigating it and not forgetting what I checked into last week. I love the way you framed it there, that having that period of time to do that intentional planning and just contrasting it with like that ad hoc planning that sort of naturally or sort of accidentally happens over the course of the year. When you are able to take a week or a couple of days and just intentionally plan out like, what do I want to see more of in my year? What do I want to see less of in my year? It does give you a refreshing and new perspective. Yeah, I agree with you there. I, I find that if I do, I guess I'll call it ad hoc planning, that's usually not only like reactive to circumstances, but reactive in the pendulum swing sense. Like if I'm doing that, it's usually... I'm burned out, so I'm going to make some hasty plans to go in the other direction and take a bunch of time off. So uh, when I'm doing that, I don't know if it always feels like I'm coming at it quite as objectively as I could, whereas the period I take, kind of the beginning and end of each year, usually I'm looking more philosophically, and often it's, what do I want to be true of my life? What would that mean for my business? And then 
what needs to be true of the business and I can sort of plan accordingly. So in the past, to make that a little more concrete, uh, a few years back when I was mainly management consulting, at one point I said, I've been traveling way too much, so I want to figure out a way to um, get you know 50% less of my revenue through uh, high-touch travel consulting or something like that. So for me, that it's the time to sort of blend lifestyle and business is usually what I do at the beginning of the year. I love that. That that's a beautiful approach, and I love the way you put it: blending lifestyle with business. And I think that's that's really like the top level, most important point for a listener, a freelancer, or a consultant. Uh, it's not just business planning. If your own, if you're your own boss, it really is business and lifestyle planning. You want to figure out what you want your lifestyle to look like in the coming year, and then exactly as you put it, Eric, what would that mean for the business, and what do I need to do in the business to make that a reality? I did something similar in a. 2017 or 2018, where I really wanted to go to a four-day work week. And so it was just saying like, okay, over the next three months, how do I shift everything out of Friday? So Friday is completely empty, and now I've built myself that three-day work week. So I really, really love that approach of blending lifestyle into this planning, because you're absolutely right. It's not just business. Yeah, that's a great example. And I would say to anyone listening, um, if you've been in a job for you know part or all of your career that can be hard to come to but you would be amazed how easy something like saying i'm going to take one day a week um where i don't work or whatever the case may be or you know i'm going to get off the road you i found myself amazed at how that wasn't nearly as difficult to do as i thought when i put it out there yeah i would agree with that i think a lot of a lot of things that people perceive as hard or impossible to do a lot of it is kind of getting over your own internal objections sort of more than the, you know, rather than it actually being hard and difficult to do. Um, you mentioned yeah, also I, like in terms of taking, taking um, sort of uh, reducing your work week, I would say along the same lines, we've already, so I guess we do plan a little bit, what do you know? We've already started talking about when we're gonna um, like take family vacations. And it gets a little complex because my kids are all in different places doing different things. Um, but starting to think about that now, is important because if you're scheduling far in advance, as I tend to do, like I'm already talking with people about the summer and beyond, and we're now in mm -hmm. late January. Um, so I've got to be able to tell them, yeah, this is where I want to be in June, July, August. So planning our vacations, at least the dates, not necessarily the places, is is a good thing to do. And after years of not taking vacations, I can tell you, like, it's great. It's great, and it's good for me and good for my business um, as well. And so knowing I'm going to have a few weeks off to do this and that and go here and there, it's it's a it's a nice feeling, and it mm -hmm. means that I can really concentrate on the business when I need to. Yeah, that old saying of uh, absence makes the heart grow fonder. I find it really, really true when it comes to business. If I put my business down for a couple weeks, I'll come back to it and be like, oh, this is exciting. I like this. Where a couple weeks ago, I'd be like, oh, I want to burn this down. <laughs> I am totally the same way. I can completely relate to that. I did that last year for the first time in a long time. My wife and I took about 10 days off where we did almost nothing for the business. And I came back, you know, from being very burned out to saying, wow, like, I'm really excited. I can't wait to talk to these clients. Um, I've got some good ideas. That really is powerful stuff. And isn't it amazing the business did not collapse? It's like, whoa, <laughs> what do you know? What do you know? Like, I could do this again. There, there's a so, metaphor. Uh, oh, please, Riven. No, no, go, go on, go on. Then I'll go on to the next question. 
Oh, there, there's a metaphor I love, and I can't remember the source of this. Uh, uh, it relates like experiences or activities in your life to juggling rubber and glass balls. And we feel like our business, some of our business contacts, our projects, they're glass balls. And if like if one drops or if we drop it for a moment, it's going to shatter. But the truth is, most of the things in our life are rubber balls, like our business. If we drop it for 10 days or two weeks while we take a vacation, it's going to bounce up and we catch it and we continue juggling. The things that really are glass and brisket shattering, your health, uh, your relationship with your family and your loved ones, your ability to provide self-care for yourself. Those, I think, are the most essential things and the most important things to focus on. So what sort of concrete things have you guys come up with that you're, you're, you're planning to? Well, let's, let's, let's start with what are you planning to do? And then we can talk about what you're planning to drop or not do. I'll jump in well, first. Oh, Eric, you, you. Um, so in terms of planning out for 2019 for my business, hit subscribe. Um, in terms of what we're planning to do, I had laid out a bunch of things that I'd like to see for the business. And then this isn't just me anymore. We have a couple of full-time employees. I'm a partner with my wife in the business. And then we've got a bunch of contractors. Um, and so working with them to come up with some goals um, related to doing things like, um, you know, some slightly big boy business things like uh, we got a 401k in place recently. We're trying to get health insurance for people. So there are things like that that are going to cost um, money. So we've, kind of reverse engineered how much revenue we need to get to in order to make some of those things true. So I have worked all of that back since I handle our sales to a pretty, um, you know, I think achievable plan of outreach and, and growing revenue. Um, so a lot is focused around that in terms of, you know, doing new things, more outreach in terms of what to stop doing. One of my main goals um, is to keep kind of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, like delegating or automating myself out of positions. Like I started this content business doing a lot of the writing, do almost none of that. Um, and at different turns, I've gotten myself out of things. By the end of the year, I'm hoping to get myself out of sales that maybe we have some staff or processes for that. And so the things I'm looking to do is, is kind of get to the point where I'm mostly operating, working on business development and not doing anything with delivery. Uh, so those are my big business drivers for 2019 thematically. Yeah. Jeremy, what, what you got? Uh, so for me, uh, one of the big things I'm focusing on in 2019 is my software businesses and trying to continue to grow those. Uh, in 2018, I kind of purposefully took a little bit of a step back from them just because I'd been really burned out for a while. And that was a, a thing that I could just kind of put on the back burner and let those coast uh, and not have to, you know, really be proactively doing a lot. I could just sort of be reactive and help, you know, help people with support requests when that sort of stuff came in. But these are for products or, or SaaS? Yes, SaaS, uh, Remark, gotcha. and then a few Shopify apps. Uh, and so, you know, kind of took a, a step back from dreaming up new features or, you know, building, building out new features that customers had requested, uh, and sort of, you know, took the time that I had in the past been spent on those things and just sort of reclaimed that time as personal time to where I was just really working less in 2018, uh, than I had in a lot of years. And so I think in 2019, I'm going to kind of get back into developing those software products uh, and, you know, get closer to 
get back to closer working really full time, but definitely try not to go over the line uh, as I had in the past, which led to burnout. Kai, you were uh, going to say something? Oh, absolutely. Uh, <clears throat> for me, I mean, when I look at the 2019 plan, it very much is a chop wood, carry water scenario. I'm going to be doing more of the same of what I did in 2018, connecting with my audience, daily emails, uh, come launching a new weekly podcast. I have ambitions on a fortnightly, every two week webinar. So more opportunities, more top of funnel opportunities, more marketing opportunities, and more connection with the audience. I very much enjoy uh, my products right now, a collection of books and courses to help consultants and freelancers get more leads. And I'm definitely going to be continuing down the product creation front. But when I look at my business sort of from that 50,000 foot view, the most important thing to focus on is audience growth and connecting with the audience and sort of the top of funnel part. So it's going to be a lot of content creation. And I'm excited about that. Uh, uh, 2018, I definitely connect with you, Jeremy, in terms of being burnt out on aspects of the business. And one of the things that I got very burnt down was sort of like long form content creation or uh, uh, public webinars. And I'm excited to be bringing those back now that I've recharged and have the enthusiasm to do them again. Very cool. So, I mean, look, I, I finally have realized that I basically have two parts to my business, the B2B and the B2B and the B2C parts, and both involve training, but they're actually quite different businesses. So on the B2B front, I'm trying to um, sort of get into some new markets break into the US and uh, Europe some more, um, sort of expand my my range of clients, um, partly because I have this feeling, and here we can find out in a year, I guess, how my economic you know uh, pro prophecies turn out. <laughs> I'm getting the feeling that as we sit here at the year of 2019, companies are starting to cut back on training budgets. Um, I just keep getting this like, you know, a lot of anecdotal evidence, but I keep getting anecdotal evidence that they're all doing it or a number of them are doing it. So I've got to expand a little bit more in terms of my customer base. And it's probably a healthy thing for me to actively look for clients as opposed to just sort of sit back and have them come to me, which has more or less worked for years now, but it's working a little less now and I'm just getting a little nervous there. But, um, and on the B2C front, I've been, you know, I'm planning to do more content creation as well, like put out some more quarter courses, but also get smarter about what I do with my current courses. I now have what, like 11,000 people on my list um, that I mail just about weekly. And I keep feeling I should be able to have more, like I should be getting more people on my list on a regular basis for my blog and other places. And I should have more of them buying things. Um, so I've started to spend some time cleaning up my website, cleaning up my mailing list, starting like it's a slow process. But if every week I, I can make some improvements there, I think over the course of the year, then I'll have a, I don't know, well-oiled machine, but less rusty machine working uh, <laughs> on, on that on that front. Um, and and I, then I, like, oh, yes, go ahead. Oh, I just want to say I absolutely love the way you put it there. Uh, cleaning up the website and mailing list sort of a week at a time. I think that's the perfect way to approach it. With so many businesses, it feels like hey, we got to leap in and fix all the things right now. When really it's like, the, the marathon pace is what you want. Slow, steady, fix two or three things a week, and then move on to the next week. And over a year, you'll make a huge impact on your business. Right, right, right. Um, and one of the sort of fun, unexpected things for me has been just in the last literally two, three days. Um, so because of my training work, some companies have asked me to work with them and maybe help set up some training or do some syllabus and curriculum development or teach their people or be a mentor. Things that I really hadn't expected, but now they sort of see the value of what I'm doing. And it's B2B then, but a different sort of B2B. Um, so I'm not quite sure where that's going to go. 
But yesterday when a company said, like, would you be interested in working on this? I said to them, and, and I even believe this, well, you know, I could just like, replace a day a week, a day a month, depends on what sort of you know, quantity we go for, instead of going out and doing training, working with them. Uh, so it feels almost like going back to project work, but it's a very different kind of project work. And it's in this area of expertise that I've managed to cultivate and, and get better at over the last few years. So that, that's have kind you, of fun. Have you ever historically done train the trainer type things? I mean, I do coaching for trainers. Um, mm -hmm. So here and there, people call me and I, I you know, talk to them and help them to improve their business on that front, including their speaking if they need. Um, I guess I've done some uh, in a, at a group level, but this is like, this is an online business where they have live teachers. So it would be a totally different scale, a totally different kind of thing. And I haven't done that, but it seems like it would be fun to like take, take a lot of the stuff I've got in Trainer Weekly, a lot of stuff I've been telling people in my coaching and putting into a more generalized, less personalized form. Hmm. Um, but yeah, it's a new, I, like, new, new, new direction. I love that new direction. And like, to me, I sort of pull the threads together of cutting down on training budgets, but still feel, still seeing the value of experts with this domain knowledge. And perhaps you're right, like there will be this market shift. There will be a shift in what companies are budgeting for training, but there's an opportunity for you to say, okay, if you're sort of moving training in-house, you're able to work with me as an expert to make sure your in-house trainings are as A-plus as they could be. That's right. That's right. And um, and it turns out that, and, and here like another example of sort of co coincidence or long-term investment sometimes paying off. So I'm talking to people also about getting deeper into training in China, and they're also doing either training the trainers or helping advise companies doing that sort of thing. Uh, so... We'll, we'll see where all of this goes, but it's quite possible that a year or two from now, like I kept telling people, I would like in the next two, three years to be doing frontal teaching like two weeks a, a, a month and the rest of the time doing content development. And that might happen, but it might look very different from that just because of these sort of surprise, uh, you know, surprise things happening. But that's that's okay. That, that's the nice thing about having a really small business. You can pivot, change, you know, adapt as much as you want, as quickly as you want. Yeah, what you're doing there is actually, it makes me think of just kind of off the cuff, something I have in mind for 2019 with hit subscribe, the content business is to figure out like new potential lines of business or ways to make us, I guess, more robust is how I'd call it. Like most of what we help clients with is blog content. And while that's a booming market right now, I don't know that that's the inevitable future of content. So thinking about how to get into media more like voice search or, or video um, is something that I have on the radar. So I just saw kind of a, a parallel there where it's exploring different ways that you can continue to evolve and make sure that you stay relevant, even if, you know, maybe a market for something you're doing starts to wane a little bit. Um, I've never actually really thought that through in the past. This is the first year I'm doing that um, because I want to make sure things stay kind of stable and I want to be optimistic about where things are going. So it sounds like there's some overlap there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think also I'm just sort of scarred from uh, the the 2000 uh, uh, you know internet bubble implosion when I had to lay people off and my business was really adrift for a while. And so any like even potential signs of problems, I start getting really antsy about it. Um, but there's always demand, like even in the worst of times. I don't think we're heading to the worst of times. Don't get me wrong. There's always demand for what we do it's just a matter of finding the people who are still spending money on it and adapting it to what they need mm -hmm. um 
So, so I think I think Eric, you talked about it a little bit, but like, what are you then saying no to? What have you decided that this coming year you're going to do less of or avoid? I don't know if Eric, you want to expand on what you said before. Or... Sure. Uh, what I was talking about before, kind of, um, because we're growing as a business, it gives me the opportunity to focus more on business development. So, doing less delivery, you know, as they say, working. Um, in the business, uh, I want to try to move myself almost entirely out of that and just work out the business. So I guess that's, in a sense, saying no, um, but it's just shifting responsibilities, I guess, as we grow. Um, the thing as a business that we're trying to say no to is we're getting better and better at the kind of engagements that we're good at. Um, and we're learning more to say, say no to kind of forms of content or interaction models where we don't excel as much. And that's not always easy to do, to be engaged with the prospect and say, look, you know, you might have better luck going to Upwork or doing this, that, or the other. Um, especially when, you know, they've got their checkbook out and they're <laughs> willing to give you revenue. Um, so that takes a concerted effort, but over and over again, we're seeing the thing that, you know, all of us would talk about, which is the more you say no to non-ideal fits, the more time you have and resources you have to look for ideal fits. Um, so we've been growing in that area and I'm looking to do even more of that in 2019 and to get more efficient at moving that left, so to speak, and figuring out earlier in the process where we maybe don't have fits. Mm -hmm. So if someone comes to you and then you, it's not a good fit, do you just say no? Do you have people you refer them to? Do you just want to make it more and more obvious? The latter. So we, um, I do know people that will do other forms of content. I mean, I've spent so many years as a consultant that I always want to help. So usually that conversation for us goes, um, we're probably not going to do the best work, you know, for what you need, but I do know X, Y, and Z other people that you might want to talk to something like that rather than just, no, we don't do it that way. Um, but it would be, you know, the earlier on we can identify that, the better. One of our models of operating is following a sales call. We'll typically do a, I don't want to call it a trial because we actually invoice for it, but we'll do a blog post or two to see if it makes sense. That's obviously, if, if there's not a fit, actually doing work, um, invoicing the whole nine yards, that's a lot of waste. So if we can figure that out at the sales call or even before, um, that's, I guess, I don't know if it's exactly the theme of saying no, but kind of implicitly it's saying no to a lot of work that we don't need to do if we can get big, better at uh, identifying that earlier. Excellent. Anyone else? What do you say no to? This is a hard one for me. I, uh, I've, been, I've been listening to everybody, what they're saying and just thinking about it. And I really think like it comes down to me. I'm saying less to travel this year. Uh, uh, 2015 and 2016, I definitely did too much traveling. And it just burnt me out on it in 2017 and some in 2018. Uh, I, I want to say less to doing things. Or I want to say no to doing things myself and say yes to delegating things more often. It's a skill I'm excited to practice now that I have people who are working with me on projects. And so I want to help enable them to do great things and take things off of my plate. Uh, but it's a hard question. I don't have a great answer to it. But uh, I'll definitely think on it. And if another answer comes to me, I'll try to share it either in a tweet or in a future episode. Oh, I know of another one, and this isn't related to hit subscribe as a business, but this is a tough one for me because I like to respond to people. But my blog gets a lot of traffic, social media, um, and I have a book that does fairly well on 
uh, Amazon, and so a lot of people email me and reach out to me. And hard as, as it is to do, one of the things that I'm saying no to is necessarily like answering all those inbound communications this year. It's just so against my nature, but I just don't have the time. I actually did some back of the napkin math and figured out that if I were to respond to all these communications, it would be half a day or a day a week, and I just can't do that. So mm-hmm. that is maybe the toughest one of all for me. It's easy to say no to clients that are in a fit, relatively speaking, but to say no to necessarily ever, everybody that's writing to you saying, hey, I, you know, I like what you're doing or whatever, that's tough. I think that is a great point. I think one or two of you have said in the past that you use like an auto expander or like basically so you have these macros that you can reply to mail. And every time you've mentioned that sort of thing, I'm like, oh, I should do that because I am so behind an email. And a lot of that's because I want to craft these personalized messages to be nice to people and get back to them. Mm-hmm. And like the reality is I, I, I just can't do that. And I think if I were to be a little more callous or like a little less personal, I could get back to them and they would be happy and I would be happier because I would be getting rid of a lot of these uh, these things. So. Yeah, maybe that's, I should say no to personal email. That's true. That's a good thought. That might be a good way for me to split the difference as opposed to just not responding. One thing I've done just sort of to better set expectations, because in 2018, Oive, I got like a boatload of self-imposed guilt about like, people are emailing me. I'm not responding back. I want, I, they took the time to write me. I want to write them back. Uh, I changed some of the wording on my website and in my email signature to, hey, I read all of my email, but due to time constraints, I can only reply to, you know, 50% or 60% or it might take a little bit. And just by doing that, it took a little bit of the self-imposed guilt or pressure off of myself because I felt like I was giving myself permission to not feel the need to respond to every email. And it's not like anybody was writing in and complaining, but I was giving myself that guilt over uh, uh, not responding to every email. That's another really interesting idea. I like that. That's good. That's good. Uh, uh, so one thing I'm trying to do less of this year is, um, well, you know, I kind of have two businesses, sort of my consulting uh, custom development type work and then my software businesses. Uh, and on the consulting and custom development side, I'm trying to take less jobs that are really more of a contractor role in favor of I'd like to do more consultative stuff. Uh, so I want to be finding clients where they're hiring me for my brain, not for my hands. Um, so trying to be more selective in that regard. Uh, what are you thinking of implementing to aid in that selection process or weed out the contractor focused, uh, uh, prospects or leads? Um, I mean, for now, I think most of it's just going to be trying to have, you know, good, why conversations with people uh, and make sure that, you know, they are, I, I mean, a lot of it's just going to be, you know, trying to find out what, what are people looking for, you know, are, mm-hmm. and it's just kind of a, you know, it's just a process of having conversations with people at this point. Um, you know, I, now that I'm thinking about it, I suppose I could definitely make the, um, make the copy on my website a little more direct about that. Um, I know some of you uh, do, you know, have basically lead intake forms that you ask people to fill out that are sort of designed to weed people out. Uh, I don't currently do anything like that. I just have my email address on my website and say, hey, if you're interested, you know, send me an email. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I could definitely see implementing a form that has those type of questions on it that really 
are designed to sort of let prospects weed themselves out uh, to see that, oh, yeah, this this is not what we're looking for. We're looking for something different. So for what it's worth, I want to say um, this might have been two or three years ago. I did something similar. I think it was the the division between high-touch on-site, um, high-touch remote, and like asynchronous remote, I think was how I put it. So I looked at these three buckets of work and saw that um, whichever year, I want to say it was 2016 to 2017, that I was doing almost exclusively like high-touch on-site. And I said that I wanted to shift that balance putting percentages on it and actually measuring it and saying I want to get to this percent helped a lot. I feel like it wouldn't have gone quite as well if I had just said something like, well, I want to do more work that's asynchronous remote. If I had just said that, because for any you know incremental gig, it's too easy to assume that you'll make up the difference later. But if it's the end of Q1, you see that your percent split is no different from last year. It helps you maybe say yes or no in the moment. So. Um, that's just something I found uh, helped me a lot. Yeah, I like that. That's a great idea. So I, while, while I've been um, sort of describing myself as a trainer for years and everything I, I, I you know, do says that, um, I still have had an employee working on my payroll uh, doing project work for a long time, you know, for all this time. And I got enough project work from different people that it was sort of worth it. I mean, he was paid by the hour. He's truly, truly an amazing guy. Um, so he's now moved back to the U.S. and he's got a full-time job, and a lot of things are winding down. I've decided, you know what? I'm just going to say no to project work. It is just not worth it, especially the last few projects that came my way didn't really pan out. So I spent time on discussing them and proposing and going and discussing more. And um, it'll be so much easier to say, you know what? I just don't do that anymore. Why don't you talk to person X? And you know, problem solved basically. And if there's a little more, uh, um, you know, support to do for the people I've already been helping over the last few years, fine. We can do a few hours here and there. But just sort of taking it off the table entirely is a, a burden off me. And quite frankly, even though my employee uh, is a fantastic, fantastic guy, really talented guy, like not having to worry about how much is he getting and is he going to have a project? That's like also a burden off of me that now mm-hmm. I can really fully concentrate on what I do and what I want to do. Yeah. Was that like a when you came to that decision? Was that like an immediate relief? Um, it's sort of been. I've been. I guess so. Uh, I, I mean, I don't think. I think now is the first time I've expressed it out loud. Um, but we. I kept saying, well, he's talking about going back to the U.S. from Israel, and so when he does that, maybe we'll do that. But then enough things sort of popped up, and enough thing people contacted me that was tantalizing possible amounts of money and tantalizing enough interesting project. I was like, well, maybe I'll make an exception for this. And then when he finally went and moved and got a full-time job and those projects didn't pan out, well, the projects didn't pan out before that. So yes, now it was definitely a relief. Definitely, definitely like a sense of, okay, I just, I like, this is not a worry. And it also means that for the first time in years, I don't have to feel the need to go out and find an employee to replace him uh, because like, I just won't have to deal with that. So yes. Um, I, I mean, I'm definitely one of those people who I think I mentioned in the past, like I had these dreams for years that, that I would have a huge company with lots of people working for me. And I'm so over that. Um, so, so, so over that. Yeah. Indie for life. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, it, it. look, it it might be nice to work on larger projects, mm-hmm. but 
I don't need employees to work on larger projects. If I really want to, I can sort of, you know, hook up with some other consultants or freelancers to do something bigger if I really want or need. Um, or with these companies I've been speaking to where I would be the consultant coming and working with a team that they hire. But like for me to hire additional people, it, it always it always weighs on me. And so now I feel, yeah, I feel freer and happier. Certainly is a lot of responsibility. Right, right. So during the months, because because he was paid hourly during the months that we didn't have a lot of work, I was like, oh, well, like I feel bad that he's not going to be getting that much. Um, I mean, it was fair, and he was reason, you know, he was reasonable, I was reasonable, but like I still felt the responsibility. So now, right, I don't have to worry about that. Um, also, I guess I've sort of made the like over the last year or so, even uh, I, you know, I used to teach a lot of classes and a lot of different things. Um, and the, I've been tagging myself, sort of branding myself more and more as like a Python trainer. And if someone would have called me up and asked me to teach another course that I hadn't done in a while, I'd be like, oh, sure, I'll do that. And I think I basically come to the conclusion, no, I'm not going to do that. If someone calls me up and asks me for a Ruby course, I just don't think I'll do it unless like, unless I have nothing else to do that week or something or a Postgres course. Could I teach them? Yes. But it means then going out, going in and not just teaching it, but spending few days even in advance making sure that everything I have to say is up to date because the last time I taught it was say a year ago and you might not know this but the computer industry tends to move forward pretty quickly <laughs> so um, <laughs> sh sh spoiler alert so um, <laughs> so it's just easier to say no I'm going to concentrate on these things and then come up with new content and deeper content in that area so it is like when you when you, saying it out loud is actually very therapeutic now for me I, I feel like huh I can say this, and it'll be okay, and it'll be not only okay, it'll be better. I can relate to that from in years past, where every time I've made a decision that will let me kind of focus more on something specific, I felt better about it. Like when I decided I was going to get away from uh, traveling consulting, it was almost two years ago now. I was kind of simultaneously pursuing these three equally promising lines of business, which was tiring, and at the various steps where one of those would survive more than the others, and eventually that became this business hit subscribe. Each time I narrowed my focus, it was a huge relief. Thinking instead of trying to move like three needles every week, you know, I'm now down to two, now down to one, to get up each day and have kind of the same general focus is, yeah, I, I'm just putting myself in your shoes. And if I were going to say, like, I'll just focus on Python, and in a way, it is, it's almost like constraining yourself. Uh, that way opens up your creativity in a sense. Like, I, I don't know. I'm not describing that well, but I, you know, no, that, for sure, it's, for sure, it's its own kind of freedom. Yeah, absolutely. I, mean, like, I, I think. I'm sorry. Oh, I was gonna say. I mean, you you have kind of a, a mental load that you carry with stuff that you haven't purposefully taken off your plate, or at least I do. Uh, you know, there was a period a couple of years ago where I was doing a lot of volunteer work with various local organizations um, and got to the point where I had I was overcommitted was trying to volunteer for too many things and as a result had started not doing very good at you know volunteering for the things I was supposed to and at, had really even just kind of stopped showing up for some of those things uh, but still felt guilty about it like you know I should be doing this but I'm not and then finally when I said out loud what was already obvious that okay I'm not into this anymore I, I'm not going to be an effective volunteer I need to stop having my name on this 
even though I've already stopped doing it a long time ago, uh, that was a big relief, just not having that, you know, it's kind of like what Kai was talking about earlier about the the guilt that you put on yourself for not doing things, and if you, you know, make it clear that you're not going to do those things, that guilt kind of goes away. Yeah, yeah, and sometimes it's just saying it to yourself or having that courage to, like you said, saying it out loud either to that third party or to yourself. I'm not digging this anymore. I want to change it. And suddenly you're on that path where before it might have just been a general feeling of, oh, this isn't quite what I want. Yeah, and, you know, even like with your Ruby course, you know, if you already hadn't given it in over a year, you're kind of already not doing that. And so, you know, telling yourself that you're not doing it just frees that up and let, you know, lets it not be any sort of a burden anymore. And doesn't doesn't really effectively change anything uh, other than the way you view it. Right, but that that like cognitive load or mm-hmm. emotional load of oh, there's this one other thing that I have to think about, even if it's a minimal amount. Mm-hmm. Um, right, that that goes away. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Um, yeah, there, there's value in saying no and cutting off those old lines of business or old lines of service. As I work through my website, I'm slowly doing the same, even for service offerings that still exist on there, but might not have sold for six or so months. I'm like intentionally asking myself, is this something I want to continue selling? Is this something I enjoy selling? Or is the emotional load or mental load of, oh, this is a thing somebody might buy, so I need to keep up to date on it. Mm -hmm. Just too much to (laughs) deal with. And let's get rid of it for now. There's nothing preventing me from reintroducing or from you reintroducing a service that you temporarily put on hiatus or put on pause or pulled from selling. But taking it off of the menu, so to speak, frees up so much mental space. Absolutely. So we've talked a lot about like what we're going to do in terms of our like, you know, sort of direction and marketing and content. Are there any like administrative things that are on your plate? Um, Like just as an example for me, uh, I, I seem to be one of the last people not leaving drip and sticking with them. Um, but, you know, I'll, I'll turn off the lights uh, when I'm the last one out. Um, but basically, I mean, I mean, first of all, I paid a lot in advance, so I, I'm there. And second of all, I think the things that that I want to do, I can really only do with them. Um, but that means I've got to, I like I realized I need to spend more time learning how to really make take advantage of it. And I started to do that just in the last weekend. Hey, what do you know? So I definitely want to spend more time on that, more time understanding analytics um, so I can be smarter about what's working, what's not working, connecting it all together. Um, and just sort of, and, and also combining my websites, because right now I think I have three, like one for my blog and one for my company and one for my online store. And they look totally different and they act totally different and that's confusing for people. So that's like the sort of logistic thing that, that I plan to do that, that um, sort of I'm thinking of. What, what, what about you guys? For me, it very much is getting better at analytics. It is one of the areas I'm worst at in my business, and it trickles down into all sorts of things. Like the, for all of 2018, I wanted to have a weekly or a monthly business dashboard that, hey, myself or a VA goes in and just inputs those relevant metrics. But because I am terrible at analytics, we don't have any of those metrics. And so this very valuable thing, okay, what does the business look like week to week? I haven't been able to answer. So on the administrative side, it's very much getting better at analytics across the different things and seeing how I could roll that up into a business dashboard just so in one place I could look and say, okay, week to week, what does subscriber growth look like? What does revenue look like? What does recurring revenue look like? And have that high view of how does my business look? Yeah, I should do that same type of thing. Get get better at having analytics at hand for the the metrics that matter. 
I feel so much better knowing that you guys <laughs> are, are also like not not fully up on it. Oh, that's that's great. That's great. <laughs> Misery loves company. I think the unspoken truth is we all listeners and ourselves we're all figuring this out together. Yeah, there, there was a great article in New York Times a, a few years ago about uh, surprise when you hit forty, you discover that grown-ups have been faking it all along, that they didn't have all the answers. <laughs> and now you're there and you have to learn to fake it too. Um, and it, it seems that way with a lot of these technologies, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There's nobody uh, uh, who has a perfect understanding of what to do. We're just waking up and seeing like, okay, what, what's the thing I want to do today? What's the most important thing to focus on? Any other like uh, sort of logistical, technical things you guys can think of to, to work on and improve on? One additional one I chair is just being more cautious about changing technologies. I did a migration from Drip to ConvertKit last year and then did an immediate about face back to Drip after deleting my Drip account. And let me tell you, there is nothing more painful than doing two back-to-back -back email migrations on your own system. So <laughs> oh, this man. year, whenever, yeah, yeah. Wow. Whenever <laughs> I have any temptation to change a piece of marketing tech in my tech stack, sit on it for a month, unless it's literally costing me money and is on fire. There's no need to act fast. Like, let's be slow and deliberate about it. Let's wait a couple weeks and figure it out the right way. Wow, that—that's the nightmare. That, 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 there you go. That and that once again. That's why I'm sticking with Drip. Well, these <laughs> these rousing endorsements that we're giving them. Maybe we should have them be a sponsor for the show. Uh, <laughs> um, any other like thoughts about what to plan, how to plan, either on your own or suggestions for listeners? Um, so my biggest suggestion would kind of echo something I said earlier is I noticed a big difference in my planning, you know, whether it's yearly or quarterly, when I started to put quantifications to things. Um, so if you can think of one, I would definitely suggest that instead of like get better at this or do more of this, it's, uh, you know, do X percent more or do twice as much or whatever, because then you're actually measuring your progress as you go and you have a better sense for it because, things like better, you know, relative comparisons, it's almost impossible for you to evaluate that in the moment. Good point, very good point. I like that a ton. I think of a colleague of mine who switched from a goal of, I want to read more books to, I want to read two new books each month. And after the first month, he was like, Kai, I read four books this month. And I'm like, that's great. Let's see what the next month holds for you. I think it's absolutely on the money, Eric. Once you set that quantitative measurement or that quantitative score for improvement, it's so, so much easier to aim for. Like the difference between I want to read more and I want to read two books each month, completely different emotional feelings and completely different levels of action on them. Absolutely. Okay. Well, let's uh, move on to picks. Um, Eric. Got any picks this week? Uh, I do. I'll, I'll go with a couple. Um, one was I was uh, working with, I have HubSpot that I use as a CRM for hit subscribe, and I've been sort of trying to figure out a way to get the email integration to improve. And I'm only using the free version, which has been great. But if you want to send emails from within HubSpot, it puts this little watermark on it that says, like, email powered by HubSpot or whatever, which is basically advertising to everybody that you might interact with that you are, you know, cataloging and, and doing metrics on them and whatnot. It's not a great look, in my opinion. So you can either pay, but what I discovered that you can do instead is install this Chrome plugin for HubSpot. I'm assuming you use Chrome, I imagine. Uh, it exists for other browsers, but um, it has been wonderful. I can click a button and have it um, log an entire email conversation from within Gmail 
uh, to the CRM. And then it has like email templates and forms and just all sorts of things you can do, like analytics, uh, setting reminders, all of them right within Gmail. Um, so that has been great for the last week or so that I've been using it. Um, and then the other one I'll throw out there is a pick for a place. Um, my wife and I are spending a couple of months in Austin, Texas. We tend to get out of the north during the winter um, since we have a location-independent business. And um, I was looking around for the best barbecue, and there's this place called Franklin's, which is not my pick. Um, but it's supposedly the best barbecue in Austin, but you have to get there like hours ahead of them opening, and I'm not big on waiting. So I went to this other place that's called La Barbecue, and there was very little wait, and it was just wonderful. Um, so if you're ever visiting Austin and you want barbecue, but without like four hours of waiting in line, uh, La Barbecue is great. <laughs> and now, of course, That's the line the will be very long there. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, Jeremy, what do you got for us? Uh, I got two picks. Uh, one is uh, kind of my own thing. Uh, it's, called, it's a website called increaseyourconsultingfees.com. Uh, which is a short email course uh, that has a lot of suggestions on ways that you can deliver more value to your clients uh, in addition to just making more obvious to them the value that you already uh, deliver, uh, which will then help you be able to raise your rates as you uh, take on new prospects and are able to communicate to them uh, the value that you're bringing to their projects. Uh, so that's increaseyourconsultingfees.com. Uh, and then the other one is a book I've been reading this week, uh, or I guess really mostly last week, uh, Company of One by Paul Jarvis. Uh, it is about really having the goal of having a small, sustainable business that supports the kind of life that you want to live more than uh, buying into the mindset of unlimited growth and you know always having to one-up yourself. Uh, and I've just found a lot in there that I really identify with uh, that is kind of uh, he, he's kind of putting to paper a lot of ideas that have kind of swirled about in my head uh, less concretely uh, so it's uh, I'm finding a lot of good stuff in there it's it's quite an excellent book uh, I second that recommendation it's absolutely absolutely a wonderful book for any independent business owner out there excellent excellent uh, Kai, what you got for us this, this week? Absolutely. So I want to recommend an article and a piece of software. The article is this wonderful, wonderful article from Merlin Mann on his uh, site, 43 Folders. This is back from 2005, so we're talking 14 years ago, and it's still relevant. It's called Kick Procrastination's Ash ass run a dash and basically if you're facing a project or a task and you're just like oh i don't want to get started with it his advice is hey set a 15 or a 20 minute timer work on it for a short streak of time and see if you enjoy doing it see if you could just get it done see if you get into flow i found it's really really helpful whenever i'm facing something where i just feel like i can't get started i don't know what the next step is i'll start anywhere i'll run a 20 minute dash and i'll see where i end up and it helps me get unstuck on those projects the piece of software I'd recommend is Text Expander from, uh, let me grab the link here, at uh, textexpander.com. It's a wonderful productivity app that lets you program in keyboard shortcuts and auto expand into short or long messages. So if I want to type my phone number in an email, I don't have to type out my full, my full phone number. I just type out my P 
and it auto expands to my full phone number. And uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful tool. It saved me literally hundreds of hours of typing over the last decade. I strongly recommend Text Expander or a similar tool out there for anybody that's looking for a nice productivity app to help them uh, type less or have templates a finger type away. Very, very cool. I totally have to look into this. Um, all right. And for me, uh, I've recently been reading a book. I'm almost done with it called Nine Pints. A Journey Through the Money, Medicine, and Mysteries of Blood. It is super cool. Um, not necessarily the best book for the squeamish. Um, <laughs> she does talk a lot about blood. But <laughs> but uh, but it's super amazing to find out about like blood donations. Like what happens to the blood when you donate it. Um, here's something that's interesting. Like they, they don't actually just take your blood and keep it in a bag. Like they separate into different components and then they use those different components for different needs. Like, and how do they do that? How do they separate? How do they check it? Amazingly cool stuff. Uh, she also, she happened to write a book. I didn't even realize this The same author, uh, uh, Rose George wrote a book that I read a few years ago called uh, 90% of everything all about the shipping industry and how like everything is shipped on boats nowadays, which was such a fantastic book. So I'm not surprised that she's written yet another great book. Totally worth getting and reading. Again, um, not if you're squeamish, meaning anyone in my family. So, <laughs> like, I mentioned to my, like, my, my wife and kids that I was reading this book, and that was enough to, like, make them swoon. And I don't mean swoon in the romantic way. I mean swoon <laughs> in the smelling, smelling salt way. Um, okay. Well, guys, thanks for a great discussion. Um, good luck in 2019 to all of us. Listeners, hope this was helpful. And if you have ideas for topics, for guests, questions that you have, don't hesitate to get in touch with us. And until next week, we will see you then on The Freelancer Show. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.